Welcome to Politics and Conscience, an ICLN Academy series on how to navigate the modern challenges of public office. This is Christian Alting von Gerzau, and today in episode 4, we will discuss political leaders of conscience. Please be reminded that if you have not yet listened to episodes 1, 2 and 3, to please do so before continuing listening with this episode number four. My favorite quote from the great 16th century statesman and saint, Sir Thomas More, Lord Chancellor of the British realm, is as follows. When statesmen forsake their own private conscience for the sake of their public duties, they lead their country by a short route to chaos. When statesmen forsake their own private conscience for the sake of their public duties, they lead their country by a short route to chaos. Very powerful words by Thomas More. One of the speakers that will participate in this series later, in fact, a member of the British Parliament today, Lord David Alton, says it thus. Politics is only as good as the people who engage in it. Politics is only as good as the people who engage in it. Very simple and very clear. Today we will look at one political leader specifically, Thomas More, who was a devoted Christian and who through his example shows us what it means in practice to be a Christian and a politician and specifically in relation to the topic of this series to be a leader of conscience. Later in episodes 5, 6 and 7 we will discuss additionally two other leaders of conscience. John Adams, who was the second president of the United States, and Doug Hammarskjöld, who was the second secretary general of the United Nations. But for today, let's focus on St. Thomas More. As said, Lord High Chancellor of the British realm, which was his final position before retiring from a long, active political life. Thomas More is the patron saint of statesmen and politicians, declared as such on the 31st of October 2000 by the now saint Pope John Paul II. He is a towering figure in history, Thomas More. Yet he was a humble man, which is the life attitude that in the final moment of decision, decision of conscience, enabled him to put, as St. John Paul II says it, the primacy of truth over power. The primacy of truth over power. Thomas More had the humility rooted in a life of prayer and the sacraments to accept, and this is very important, to accept that the final impetus for each and every decision he took 
both as a civilian and a politician, was not his king, nor his constituency, not even his approval ratings, although I doubt whether these existed 500 years ago, but only his conscience. Pope John Paul II quotes Gaudium et Spes to explain here what conscience is. He says, it is the most intimate center and sanctuary of a person in which he or she is alone with God, whose voice echoes within him. The most intimate center and sanctuary of a person. This is something that Thomas More understood very well. This deeply rooted characteristic of humility before God, his creator, something that I think is sorely missing in much of modern society, is what gave St. Thomas More an imperishable, an imperishable example of moral integrity. But there is another vital element to his character that both was the result of his humility and a consequence thereof. He was a learned man that never stopped learning because he knew of his own limitations and the need to continuously form one's conscience in order to be able to even discern and hear God's voice in this inner realm that is the conscience and to be able to discern between good and evil. Throughout his many years in public office, and of course also before that, St. Thomas More retained actively his desire for study, for reading, for discussion. And as a result, many publications came from his hand. Both in the way he lived and in his writings, we see his humility as his guiding principle, his many high offices, and his very close relationship with the king, King Henry VIII, did not lead him to overestimate his standing. He once remarked to his son-in-law, William Roper, as follows, and I quote, I thank our Lord, son. I find his grace the king my very good Lord indeed, and I believe he doth as singularly favor me as any subject within this realm. Howbeit, son Roper, I may tell thee, I have no cause to be proud thereof. For if my head could win him a castle in France, it should not fail to go. A little bit of dark humor there of St. Thomas More. But his humor and the humility of St. Thomas More also gave him a sense of healthy realism. He had no illusions or grand plans with his position of power and influence. What he did have was a strong sense of duty and a willingness to serve yet never at the cost of the primacy of truth. He was humble enough to always see and act with that in mind. 
we find concrete examples of this humble yet forceful attitude when reading his biography, especially the one written by William Roper. One of the stories William Roper relates is as follows. When in 1523, King Henry VIII appointed Thomas More Speaker of the House of Commons, Thomas More again shows his fearlessness and his real principledness in the face of upholding justice and acknowledging his own limitations, whilst addressing the king, mind you, publicly addressing the king, upon assuming office. He made two public requests to Henry VIII. The first one was to pardon him, that is to say Thomas More, his simplicity and allow recourse. The second was to allow every man to discharge his conscience without fear. Now, knowing King Henry VIII very well and his lack of patience, the fact that St. Thomas More actually publicly asked the king to allow each member of parliament to always discharge his conscience without fear shows of great courage that he was willing to do so. And as we know, many years later, in 1534, St. Thomas More will himself lose his head at the behest of that same King Henry VIII because he is not willing to go against his conscience. But Thomas More's humility goes deeper and of course also extends to the spiritual realm. This of course was the key to his courage and unyielding stand when it came to defending the truth and not willing to cooperate with what he considered was wrong and evil. This of course was the defense of the sanctity of marriage, specifically the then marriage of Queen Catherine, originally of Aragon, to Henry VIII, and also the position of the Bishop of Rome as the Supreme Pontiff of the Holy Roman Catholic Church. These two were, in the final analysis, made possible, these two stances of conscience by Thomas More, were in the final analysis made possible by a deep spiritual life. He, for example, attended Mass daily, and he had a humble sense of the finite and broken nature of life on this earth. We could go on very much about St. Thomas More. What was his great strength is this virtue of humility that he lived as a leader in public office. And this attitude was it that allowed him to be a leader of conscience. <laughs>